0: jason owen here stoking your zeal for the things of god in christ look when you get to heaven you're going to meet a gentleman named habakkuk and he may ask you hey have you read my book and if you look at him with those starry eyes and wonder habakkuk habakkuk well he's a prophet and there's a book in the Bible called Habakkuk, probably pronounced Havakuk, but we're just going to pronounce it Habakkuk for the purpose of this study. And I want to give us a little bit of background as we dive into chapter one today. The Assyrians destroyed Israel in 722 BC. I mean, it it was gone. They came in, wiped it out, carried some folks away. The Chaldeans, also known as the Babylons, they were gaining some traction in the Middle East there. They besieged Jerusalem in 605 BC. Well, king of judah the southern half of what was once you know the land of israel israel on top and judah on the bottom the the more faithful of the two portions there you have king jehoiakim and king jehoiakim paid tribute to king nebuchadnezzar the king of babylon really to leave them them alone for about four years until he refused to pay Because of that, he was eventually carried away by Nebuchadnezzar to Babylon. Now, it's believed the prophet Habakkuk lived in Judah between 609 to 598 BC during King Jehoiakim's reign. And he may have also lived during the time of revival under King Josiah's reign. That would have been a really good time. But as he writes his letter... He was witnessing horrible atrocities in Judah, not just because of the Babylonians and the damage that they were doing to the land and, and the horrible things they were doing to the people of God, but also because of the wickedness, the wickedness of his own people as they turned their backs on God. And that's where we pick up today in Habakkuk chapter one, and I'll read the first four verses. The burden which the prophet Habakkuk saw O oh Lord, how long shall I cry, and you will not hear? Even cry out to you, violence, and you will not save. Why do you show me iniquity and cause me to see trouble? For plundering and violence are before me. There is strife, and contention arises. Therefore the law is powerless, and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous, therefore perverse judgment proceeds. May God bless the reading and the hearing and the doing of his word. The burden which the prophet Habakkuk saw. Burden here is a load. It's something that's been lifted up and carried along. It's also sometimes translated as a song, and some scholars believe that this entire book that we have, Habakkuk, is actually one song of Habakkuk singing out his prayer to the Lord, but it's a burden. It was heavy. He lifted up his prayer, maybe even sang this prayer to the Lord about everything that he had seen and witnessed and carried with him, heavy as it was. And he cried, O Lord, how long shall I cry to you? And you won't listen to me. You won't hear me. And I cry out to you, violence. He knew whom he was crying out to. So much violence he had seen. And surely God saw what was happening but it appeared it felt like god wasn't going to save them what a helpless potentially hopeless feeling you can hear it in his voice why do you show me iniquity in verse three why do you show me iniquity and you cause me to see trouble For plundering and violence are before me. There's strife and contention arises. Why do you show me this iniquity and trouble and plundering, violence, strife, contention? Did he reminisce about the good old days, the days of revival during King Josiah's reign? It's hard for him to see his home riddled with so much danger and crime. He knew what it was like before He knew what it should be and really what it could be. And surely Habakkuk was a witness also, though, to the idolatry of his people. That is what God was putting his finger on. That is what God had to address was the idolatry of the people. We see in this book here, in this prophecy, this prayer, rather, that God's people, even God's people wrestle with the problem of evil. This ancient conversation called the problem of evil, and it goes something like this. If God is good, then why is there evil? Right? And if God is love, then why does he allow evil to happen? If God is all powerful, then why doesn't he prevent evil, stop evil before it happens? And and I think, you know, one of the missing elements of that conversation Missing if we don't remember it is that enemy, Satan, the adversary, introduced evil. God is not evil. Certainly, God can prevent evil, and most certainly, God does prevent a lot of evil, which we don't see this side of heaven. Perhaps it'll be revealed to us in the special features section of the DVD when we sit down with the Lord and He shows us all of the wonderful things that He's done in response to the world that is riddled by bad decisions it's just bad in habakkuk's time and he says it's so bad that the law is powerless in verse 4 because of this the law is powerless and justice never goes forth there's never justice wicked surround the righteous and therefore perverse judgment proceeds the law thinking here he's speaking of the law of moses because that was the law for god's people the law of moses was seemingly powerless and justice never goes forth the laws are standards meant to protect us the law of moses was a standard to to help the people of Israel to know how to behave themselves, not just with each other, but in the presence of God, as God would live within their camp, within their city. Their standards, laws are meant to protect us, to prevent us from abusing others, to prevent us from abusing ourselves. And so without this connection with God, without a commitment to keep the religious and ceremonial laws, with that being diminished, they lived godly Rather they lived godless lives. And the wickedness abounded, and because of that, moral and civil law was perverted, and there was just injustice all around. Everywhere have a turn. It was just bad. It sounds a lot like the world that we live in right now. It sounds a lot like the United States, who, you know, once seemingly founded on principles, biblical principles, has turned its back on God. And we see the injustice, we see the corruption. What is the Lord's reply, picking up in verse 5? Look among the nations, God says, and watch. Watch. Be utterly astounded, for I will work a work in your days which you would not believe, though it were told you. For indeed, I am raising up the Chaldeans, a bitter and a hasty nation, which marches through the breadth of the earth to possess the dwelling places that are not theirs. They are terrible and dreadful. Their judgment and their dignity proceed from themselves. Their horses also are swifter than leopards and more fierce than evening wolves. Their chargers charge ahead. Their cavalry comes from afar. They fly as the eagle that hastens to eat. They all come for violence. Their faces are set like the east wind. They gather captives like sand. They scoff at kings and princes are scorned by them. They deride every stronghold. For they heap up earthen mounds and seize it. Then his mind changes, and he transgresses. He commits offense, ascribing this power to his God. Look among the nations, God says, and watch. Watch this. Be utterly astounded. God's plan, almost unbelievable. He says, if I told you, I'm going to work something in your days. You wouldn't believe it if I told you, man. He wanted Habakkuk to keep watching, keep your eyes open. He was raising up their enemies, the Chaldeans, the Babylonians, a very terrible and dreadful people to address their idolatry. He'll speak more to this as we continue to read throughout Habakkuk. But you might notice in history, in biblical history, the people of Israel seem to stop having... A, an idolatry problem after their Babylonian captivity when they went back to their land and they rebuilt the city and the temple and I, I'm not saying that they never ever ever at any one time worshipped other things in the process but you don't see throughout the rest of their the biblical history here you don't see them really lifting up the high places and and um uh, diving headlong into worshiping idols, images made of wood and stone and metal, clay, and all that stuff. He had to deal with that. God used the Babylonians to spank them, to discipline them, if you will. And as God says, watch this, it's not it's not the equivalent equivalent of, hey, hold my beer, right? (laughs) As somebody gets up from their lawn chair hold my beer, and proceeds to do something just reckless and perhaps stupid. No. I mean, our God is in control, and he's intentional. He knows exactly what he's doing when he allows, not only allows, but raises up the Chaldeans to come in to do what they did listen to this. Their horses are swifter than leopards, in verse 8, more fierce than evening wolves. Their chargers charge ahead, chargers being horsemen. Their horsemen charge ahead. They spring about. They go forth with great speed and violence. Look, their horses are more, they're more fierce. They're swifter and more fierce. We never want to hear about how much more capable our enemy might be than us. That's not the kind of talk we want to have, right? And when I see posts like that come up in the news or in social media, I often click that because I'm curious, I'm interested. Are they really? And you know, in the day and age that we live in with technology advancing so quickly, it's very possible and likely that some of our own enemies today may be swifter and more fierce than us. I mean, we are weakening ourselves from the inside with the immorality and the injustice and the perversity. It's, it's just wrong. The Scripture is very plain when it tells us that you know our victory does not come from the strength of our horses or the fact that we have shields and swords. You know, a nation is blessed whose God is the Lord. So it's very possible that we may have enemies swifter, more fierce than we are, but we don't like to. We No, we don't want to admit that. We don't want to acknowledge that's true. How much faster, how much more aggressive, how much more technologically advanced and better trained, perhaps, the Chaldeans were than the people of Judah at that time. And they come for violence, he says in verse 9. They come for violence. They set their faces like the east wind. They cap. They gather captives like the sand, and that is scary. One hopes for a quick death, but the Chaldeans were inclined. They were accustomed to taking their enemies alive to Babylon as slaves. Would you rather die swift and quick death or live the rest of your life as a slave, knowing that your daughters and your sons may be slaves in someone, someone else's house? Your wife, if she's still alive, that she may be a slave, trafficked, misused in someone else's home. The Chaldeans scoff at kings. Princes are scorned by them. They deride every stronghold. They heap up earthen mounds and it. In other words, they build up big hounds, mounds of dirt and build ramps. That will lead their armies up and over the walls of cities to take those cities. The Chaldeans were confident in their abilities. They were thorough and they were persistent. There was no escape from the Chaldeans. And then his mind changes in verse 11. His mind changes. In the footnotes, it says something like his spirit or his wind changes. That thing within him that that drove Babylon changes. At some point, it says he commits offense. He ascribes this power to his God. Where the Chaldeans had it wrong was their strength was given them. God allowed them to have that strength, that ability, that persuasion. And they attributed that power to their gods, so-called. God was using the things of the world, the ungodly Chaldeans, to reveal Judah's weaknesses and to deal with it head on. How might this apply to us? I mean, we're not Habakkuk. You and I are not Habakkuk. And we're most certainly not in the land of Judah, and Judah does not represent the United States here. But I you know, point back to Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter 15, verse four, and he told us, whatever things were written before were written for our learning, that we through the patience and the comfort of the scriptures might have hope. So I think it's important always to consider, Lord, you know, Lord God, how does this apply? To us, how does this apply to me? First, I think, as I look at Habakkuk's prayer and the burden that he carried, it reminds me that sometimes it's just heavy. sometimes it's heavy. we experience, we see evil, we experience the injustice and wickedness in our lives and in the lives of people we love and it's, it, it's heavy, it pains us. And frankly, we want to return to normal. We want things to be as they were, or we want things to be better than they were. And we wonder, why would God show us hard things? If God is God and he's loving, The why is there so much evil in my life when I worship you, Lord? When I love you. And what about that guy or that lady and they love you and yet they were hacked to pieces their children were stolen from their homes at night and trafficked abroad why would god show us hard things and how long how long will things keep going the way that they're going sometimes the burdens we carry like habakkuk they're just heavy man and what should our response be we pray We've got to pray, man. I'm preaching to myself right now because I know I've got to pray about the things that I'm witnessing in my life and the things that have happened to people I love, things that happened to me. Cry out to the Lord. Lift your burden to the Lord. And frankly, you don't even have to lift it up. Just lay it down at His feet. Sing to Him. Journal your prayers. Write them down as Habakkuk did. That's how we have this book of Habakkuk. He wrote his prayers down. He wrote down this interaction, this exchange that happened between him and the Lord God. And if if you're going to whine and if you're going to complain to anyone, you might as well complain and whine to the Lord. Pour your heart out to the Lord God. I learned a long time ago when I was serving as an infantry corpsman the infantrymen complain a lot, and it's really easy to jump on a bandwagon and just be like, "Yeah, man, this is horrible, and I don't like this and i I just thought, man, as a christian young Christian man, I decided a long time ago I'm not going to complain unless I can complain to someone who has the power to change it, the ability to change it. God has the ability to change it, so even though it's heavy, pray, lift your antenna up and get calms with the Lord. And the Bible tells us to do that without ceasing. Always praying. Always praying. In everything, giving thanks. And We'll talk a little bit more about that power and ability, giving thanks and what happens in our lives and in us when we give thanks. Talk more about that in future studies. But I think a third thing we can do in addition to praying is we can listen to what God says we can read what God says third thing being you know first first thing being sometimes it's heavy second we pray about it and thirdly we listen to what God says read what he says God has a plan i mean he's working evil for our good you look at the bible man and, and from beginning to end from genesis to revelation you see over and over and over again the enemy planting these evil seeds and schemes for Human beings' demise, and God turning those things that were meant for evil into good, over and over and over again throughout the scriptures. I love that. God is working evil for our good, specifically for those of us who love the Lord. Then Romans eight twenty eight and twenty nine. You know, God is working all things together for good for those who love God. To those who are the called according to His purpose, He's working in our lives. But he's working in other people's lives. And that's really important to remember because it's not always about you. It's not always about me. There are other people around us, somehow connected to us. And he wants to address this idolatry and wickedness in them. And he wants to address that idolatry and wickedness and that ungodliness, that unchristlikeness in you and me. What else can we do? We can watch and be utterly astounded. Just as the Lord told Habakkuk. But here's the thing don't expect good from God. Rather, expect God to be good. Don't expect good from God. Expect God to be good. We should anticipate that it may get worse before it gets better. And we've really got to manage our expectations of what better looks like because, you know, we cling to that promise, all things work together for good. Well, what's the good? The good isn't the guy gets the girl or the girl gets the guy or you find your wallet when it was lost or, or you get the job. You landed that, that thing. Romans 8.28 can't be divorced from Romans Romans 8.29. For those whom God foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he, being Jesus, might be the firstborn among many brethren. So if we're going to cling to these coffee cup verses, we've got to keep them in context, and we understand that God is working all things together. He is using even the evil things that happen to us for good. But the the good and the better is not that we are necessarily comforted or it just worked out the good is that we be transformed into the image of christ he loves us too much to allow us to remain the same he has to address that that sin in us he had to address the sin and the idolatry in his people what makes us any different so it may get better or it may get worse before it gets better look to the cross Jesus said to them this is Matthew 17 verses 22 to 23 the son of man is about to be betrayed into the hands of men they will kill him and the third day he will be raised up and they were exceedingly sorrowful they they really had no clue even though it was told them that he would rise from the dead. They didn't believe Jesus, but they honed in on the fact that he was going to be betrayed into the hands of men and killed. If they really grasped the fact, the prophecy that Jesus was going to be raised from the dead, they would have had hope. Peter would not perhaps have denied Jesus. I don't know maybe he still would have if he would have believed that Jesus was going to be raised from the dead but the cross came before the resurrection, it got worse before it got better so we should watch man, keep our eyes peeled be utterly astounded, be blown away by the things that God has planned for you and me and he's not like, hey hold my beer and figuring it out on the go he has planned all of this from eternity and the things that we call the future is not future to him he is in he is in eternity scripture says he inhabits eternity he's he's in a place apparently where there's no time as we know it and and it, and it's not even that he moves freely into what we call the past or the future he just is in those places in those times already because he's God and he's eternal and so the last thing that I can offer as an application is trust him trust him God knows what he's doing again when he said to Habakkuk look and watch he wasn't saying hold my beer man because he's not a reckless God he's intentional and he's in control Father God, thank you for your mighty word. Thank you for this gem we have in the Bible, for this prayerful exchange between Habakkuk and yourself, Lord. Father, may we be as candid as this brother here. May we have great faith to watch, to be astounded, to trust you, Lord, to look to the cross when things seem good, Grim and bleak and hopeless, and to know, Lord, that you are accustomed to turning things the enemy means for our demise, for turning those things, those schemes, those plots of the enemy, turning them around for our good. We love you and praise you, God. And thank you so much for your word and the people who are listening today. Amen. Thanks so much for listening, my friends. God bless you and keep you. Remember to let God be true in every man a liar. Don't forget to be bold and courageous.